0: Um, Jesus' first expansion, his e- expanding of the kingdom, advancing, uh, his kingdom advancing plan, and he's, he sent out his 12 chosen disciples and he gave them authority to do all the things that he was doing that they were watching him do for the sake of the good news being received by the lost. Those folks that Jesus looked at and had compassion on, he described they're vulnerable, they're sheep without a shepherd. And so they're sent out and, and these disciples, and they're sent out and they go about doing the kingdom thing. They're healing, they're restoring, they're making people whole in body and in spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pick up from that point in chapter 11 today. I encourage you to have your Bibles with you. It's really good for us to be in the word of God um, in, in this uh, in, at at your homes rather than just simply on a screen, although if you're reading off a screen, that's okay too. Uh, today we have a reading by David Puff, who has uh, read the passage for us and and um, you can follow along at home.
1: Matthew eleven. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? I say, yes, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare you your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John... And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? Is it like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon the son of man came eating and drinking and they say look a glutton and a winebibber a friend of tax collectors and sinners but wisdom is justified by her children
0: thank you so much david i really appreciate that and and that's the word of the lord to us this morning it's a big chunk that's uh, verse 1 through 19 and we're going to we're going to go through it today so Buckle up, get ready, and you know, if we're going through a lot of uh, things here in these last few weeks, you always have the opportunity to pause, uh, dig into the Word for yourself, and I encourage you throughout the week to be doing so. But for today, we get to visit a character we haven't heard from. Uh, Well, we looked at a few months ago, and it's John, John the Baptist. And he made his appearance back in chapter 3. Remember, he's that forerunner, that weird guy in the desert uh, that had that renewal movement happening uh, before the days of Jesus. Ken Voggs brought us a message about this forerunner to Jesus, as you recall. And what John was proclaiming, remember, "...repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." And thousands were coming and confessing their sins and being baptized by John in the Jordan River. He was kind of a big deal. And that's where we see Jesus begin his public ministry. He was baptized by John. Uh, and, he, and then Jesus himself headed for the wilderness for the time of testing and temptation. And Jesus comes out of that wilderness time and Matthew mentions right as he comes out of that out of that wilderness time, Matthew takes the time to mention that Jesus heard John was arrested and and Jesus heads for Galilee at that point. Luke actually records in his gospel account that John was in prison uh, because he had went and called out King Herod, uh, that nasty puppet king, for stealing his brother's wife and, and many other sins that Herod had done. So John had had, had the boldness to go and call this out. And John was in terrible trouble. John was in prison. John was rotting in a Roman prison. And that looks nothing like going to prison today in Canada looks. No, there was no food. There was no social supports. There was absolutely no humane treatment. You were just left to decay on your own. And, and so that's why actually in the scripture we, we see that we're encouraged to visit those in prison. That was a big deal in in the early church. It was to provide literally their daily living needs as well as encourage them in the faith. John went from having this powerful movement and affecting thousands for the Lord to rotting in a Roman prison. And then that's where we left him. And then we've had a few months of unpacking a few other chapters, and that's where we're going to pick it up today. John is in prison, and so we're in Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is John. This is the fiery wilderness preacher, the one who who said he saw Jesus and this John said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world now he's sitting in prison and he's rotting away and he's sitting in prison and he's and he's wondering ah, what's going on here this is a terrible place this doesn't feel right if jesus is the messiah and i'm the guy that's supposed to get things ready for the messiah Why on earth am I stuck in a Roman prison? That's what I would be thinking. And I I imagine John thinking a very similar thing. Isn't the Messiah supposed to come and bring judgment? Isn't he supposed to come and bring reckoning to those cruel, oppressive Romans? That was the main idea of the messianic kingdom that the Jews were hoping for. This king that would come and overthrow all their enemies. We see a John here that is low and broken about the circumstance that he finds himself in. He is at a very low place. It doesn't make sense to him because Jesus is clearly not meeting John's expectations. He's not meeting John's expectations. What did it say that was causing him to question Jesus? It said, John heard about the deeds. John heard what Jesus was doing. John saw what Jesus was doing, and it did not line up with what he thought would play out, obviously. So John heard about what Jesus was doing and started questioning this. Even John, he was the closest to Jesus. He was the messenger from God to prepare the way, and he was questioning Jesus' unexpected way that he was bringing the kingdom. He was questioning it. Let's go back to Matthew 3. We'll see a glimpse of what John's expectations were going to be. Uh, you can just flip back a few pages to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to read uh, verses 11 to 12. This is, this is John preaching in the wilderness. Remember, the Pharisees came, and he's, and, and he's kind of blasting them a bit. And in verse 11, he says, I baptize you, this is a John the Baptist, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, like, whoa, John, that's some, in, that's some intense stuff. And it really tells us what John's expectation of the Messiah was going to be. He is coming to bring vengeance, and he is coming for, against the sinner to bring judgment. His message was a message of repentance, which is wonderful and good. But even John didn't know what to expect when this Messiah came. It was totally the expectation of the day what he was preaching. And to be fair, tons, most prophecies about the Messiah was about a conquering king and judge. So we can be prone to look down on John here and think, come on, man. Don't you see? Don't you see what Jesus is up to? But I can totally see why he would be thinking this. He finds himself in prison when in his mind, the Messiah should be overthrowing the very powers that have him in prison and are oppressing him. Jesus should be setting the Jews free and he should be establishing his forever kingdom on the earth physically right now. Well, that's a good thing to hope for. And that's something that we're still hoping for. And we know that it's a sure thing because we can look back in hindsight at everything that Jesus did. But this Messiah was completely not what they expected. It was not what they thought. Let's look at Jesus' response back in Matthew chapter 11 again. Let's look at Jesus' response to John questioning if he's the Messiah or if he should look for someone else. Let's look at that response in verse 4. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is doing all of these things. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We read that first and we're like, well, how could you be offended at a guy who is going and raising up dead people and preaching good news to the poor and opening eyes and ears? How could you be offended but people were offended because this was not the Messiah that they expected, even John. And, and again, Jesus, he's just giving his classic straightforward answers, right? Jesus, John asks a question, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus does, doesn't just come out and say, yep, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Just hang tight. It'll make sense in a little while. No, he, he gives him evidences. And it's actually amazing what Jesus says. John is questioning Jesus, why? As he's examining his deeds. John is questioning Jesus as he's hearing about the things that Jesus is doing. And John looks at what he's doing and it just doesn't compute, just doesn't work in his mind. And Jesus's response, which is supposed to say a loud, emphatic, yes, I am the Messiah, was actually precisely Because of what he was doing. Exactly because of what he was doing. The blind receive their sight, lame walk, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is pulling directly from the messianic prophecies from Isaiah when he draws attention to precisely, exactly these things that he was doing. Jesus is drawing from familiar passages that John the Baptist would have known. We've seen Jesus do all of these things in the last few chapters. And he draws John's attention here first to Isaiah chapter 35. So let's go on a bit of an Old Testament deep dive and see what Jesus is actually doing here. It's amazing. So Jesus is putting together a couple of Old Testament prophecies. So Isaiah chapter 35 says, then the eyes of the blind shall be, talking about the Messiah, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and it goes on. Jesus is saying, yes, actually, John, I am doing precisely what the Messiah would do. I am him. But then if you look, one verse before these verses, which we love because we know Jesus is a... Is a healer and here for the poor. And we love that about Jesus. But if you look one verse previous, it says this. Oh, sorry. I pushed back instead of forward. I'm going one verse previous. Makes sense, right? <laughs> uh, it says, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. This passage is one passage. And so the expectation and the, and the um, emphasis was, was placed on the immediate felt needs of being free. Yes, we love, we would, if you were an, an ancient Israelite in this day, you would have really wanted a God who would come with vengeance, with a recompense that it would come and save you. Vengeance and recompense, that was the main expectation. But with the promise of vengeance and the promise of recompense also came that promise of healing. The expectation was first overthrowing the evil world empires and then healing after that. But Jesus came and unexpectedly was doing it in the opposite order. Jesus came and he was healing illnesses, yes. But also on the cross, he was bringing spiritual healing that we desperately needed to be a possibility, as we call in his name. Jesus didn't come to fight a worldly human power, but something, something far greater and something far harder to comprehend. He didn't come to overthrow the worldly governments. He came to overthrow the evil that is in the world. He came to overthrow the evil The greatest problem first, the evil in you, the evil in me, that is what Jesus came to do. He came to conquer that. He came to transfer humans from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he was starting that process by healing and making people whole as a fulfillment of the messianic prophecy. And Jesus, as he's... Giving his answer to John, he also ties in Isaiah chapter 61 in his response. That piece, good news, is preached to the poor. Let's read it together. The spirit of the Lord God, this is from Isaiah, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Oh, we love that. And I love Jesus for that. Let's keep reading. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. John was sitting in prison. John was captive. He was bound. He was still bound. Jesus was healing. Jesus was doing the preaching of the good news to the poor that he was pointing out. But John, John is still sitting in prison. What what does this mean? There was, to him, it felt like there was, there was no liberty for him at that moment. At least that's what it would have felt like. I honestly think that John was in a spot that I believe all of us, even as believers, find ourselves in this spot at one point or another. Jesus is not fitting into our box. Jesus is not doing the things that we expect or want him to. Our expectations of how he's going to deal with us and what he's up to is shattered at times. And then what? And then what are you gonna do? Jesus, are you there? Are you worth following? Why would would you follow Jesus in those moments? Do you then say, should I look for someone else? Should I look for somebody else? Because this Jesus just isn't coming to the place of meeting all my expectations. Jesus, are you, is, is my faith in you just going to fall flat along the way here? Like, what is happening? We, we are all there at different times in our faith. Isn't it profound that Jesus used the same verse from Isaiah that speaks about opening prison doors to those who are bound? It's a very personal message to John. It's both a rebuke and an encouragement to John. You weren't wrong to put your hope in me, John, is what Jesus is saying. I am doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. It just looks different than you thought. And Jesus then, he concluded that thought with these very words. Oh, he said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John needed those words. John needed those words, blessed is the one who's not offended. What a truth that we need as well. When we are tempted to be offended at Jesus, when Jesus doesn't make all your wildest dreams come true, when your kid walks away from the Lord and chooses a worldly lifestyle, a lifestyle of sin, when there's suffering in your life that just won't go away, don't go to that place of offense. Jesus is doing a work. There is no doubt about that. Don't go to a dangerous place of of blaming God or being upset that he isn't fixing it for you right now in your timing, in your way. You know what? Some people sell the gospel that way, but not Jesus, and we shouldn't either. The expectation, according to Jesus, is that there will be suffering and pain mixed with great joy and celebration in this life. Jesus, it's, it's so much messier than we try to just package everything. It's, it's a beautiful walk with our Lord. Jesus' kingdom coming, it isn't stalled in these questioning moments. He isn't stumped. It's just different than we expect sometimes. Jesus won't always set us free from the effect of evil in the world. Evil things happen to good people Evil things happen to God's children. Jesus is setting us free from the captivity that the devil has over us. Jesus is setting us free from his reign, that slavery that we live in under sin apart from Christ. The most important jailbreak and releasing ever is the release from the prison of our hearts, from the love of Jesus and a relationship with him. So just in case we start looking down at John and the disciples around him too, uh, Jesus has these words. Jesus has these words for the disciples that were listening. And he says this, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What, so Jesus is saying, what did you go into the wilderness? Is John a weak guy? No, this is a tough, tough guy living in the wilderness, sleeping outside in the desert. He's <laughs> eating bugs and wearing uncomfortable clothes. This is a tough guy. This is the guy who started a renewal movement by the Spirit of God. And he was the chosen one that would do that. This is not a pushover, is what Jesus is saying. Verse 9, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he, John, is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John is not disqualified. He's the forerunner to the Messiah. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the prophet that the prophets pointed to. And he's no pushover. But the reality is that the kingdom of heaven will be opposed. The violent are coming against the kingdom and opposed, like the kingdom is opposed violently by powerful forces in the earth. That's an expectation that we need to have. That doesn't mean Jesus' powerful kingdom isn't coming and isn't advancing mightily. It's just a reality of this age. This would be mind-blowing for those trying to make sense of this. The Hebrew mindset was a one-time coming for the Messiah to come and establish his his rule and his reign forever. But now from our vantage point, we see that there's a plan for a second coming of Jesus. At that point, he will establish his forever reign in fullness on the earth. But until then, we expect violence because then the world's truly, truly going to live. In peace, We expect violence until then, but also expect a victorious Jesus because he is indeed, he's still taking all those boxes that the Messiah would have to tick. And he just keeps doing it in perfection. Let's read, read on. In verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. I loved how David read it. It was just perfect. We expect certain things, and then we get upset, like these kids, if they're not met. What do you want, people? It's like these kids sitting in the marketplace, and they're playing a little song, and they just like, I don't know, they're expecting a flash mob or something to happen, and everybody's going to be dancing and happy, and, and, but it doesn't happen. and They're upset, right? Well, I sang a sad, a, a dirge, a funeral song for you, and you didn't. You didn't. And their expectations weren't met, and and, and they were pouty about it. And it says, well, John was fasting. You say he has a demon. I came feasting. And you say, look, a glutton. What do you want? Feasting, fasting? Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. At the end of Jesus' response, we see what he wants us to do. He wants us to watch and see what he will do. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Man's wisdom is not God's. It's just not God's wisdom. But as Jesus continues on his life on the earth, as we observe his kingdom plan as it plays out, which it hasn't played out yet at this point, as he's saying, pay attention, watch everything play out, because we know that he's headed somewhere. He's strategic. He's he's going somewhere with this. So pay close attention to all that he does and all that he stands for, and in that you will see the wisdom of God. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Pay attention, Jesus. Just watch. Watch and see. You're not convinced now, but just maybe? Just wait. Watch. Watch with a heart that just longs to see what God is up to. Then you're going to know the wisdom of God, the wisdom to come and heal, the wisdom that he had to come and proclaim the good news to the poor, the wisdom to not yet overthrow the evil worldly regimes, but the wisdom to liberate our hearts for anyone who wants to come and enter the kingdom of heaven. For anyone who wants to come to Jesus on his terms, there's, there's that wisdom to liberate those hearts. Would it have looked like wisdom for John to eventually be beheaded by Herod? Because that's what eventually ended up happening. Does that look like wisdom to you and me? Yeah, we're starting this movement and you got we got to have some martyrs. No, that's that doesn't sound like a good time. Would it have looked like wisdom for the Messiah, Jesus, who is trying to And, well, we know succeeding, but Jesus, who was starting this global messianic kingdom to go to the cross and be killed by Romans, those same people he was expected to overthrow, does that sound like something that we would come up with? No. It was so unexpected. But it's so beautiful, and it's so wonderful. Why? because Jesus is the savior of the world. And he does things in his wisdom and he has already defeated hell and death. And he's just buying time to get all those that he wants to be a part of his family until he returns again. He is so wise and so good. And so we get to sit in some not fun stuff in this age, but we get to trust Jesus's wisdom and all the things that he does. But why follow Jesus? Why follow this Jesus when, in our limited view, sometimes he leaves much to be desired at, at moments when, when our when our view is not right? Because who, honestly, why would we follow him? Because who else loves like he does? Who else loves like, like this God? Who else has compassion like this God? Who else actually... In reality has the power over sin and death and hell nobody nobody loves like that nobody has compassion like that nobody has power like that but Jesus Jesus alone is your hope in Jesus because John was starting to question was my hope in Jesus or, or was my hope in in this government that was going to be overthrown and established and everything's going to go better for me. No. Is your hope in Jesus alone? Is it in him alone or, or, or is it in what he's going to do for us here? Why follow Jesus? Even when things are hard, even when things don't add up, why follow him? Because what's never in question is how very much he loves you. That is never in question. And he proved it. He proved it by going to the cross for you and for me. He proved it. Jesus says in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And we know very well that this is exactly what what Jesus did. This is precisely what Christ came to do. And in that, as we know from Isaiah 53, he bore and he took our sin upon himself. He took our griefs and our sorrows and our iniquities and our infirmities on himself on the cross. That's what he did. Greater love has no one than this. That is the greatest love that Jesus suffered and died. And yes, it was a real thing physical death. And he did it for you and for me. And it was absolutely excruciating as the nails were driven into his hands. Those nails were driven into his hands and into his feet. And it was real. I don't want to stand here today and sensationalize the physical suffering that Jesus went through as very real and horrible. And I love him for it as it is, many, in fact, he was crucified between two other men who had the same death. In fact, they suffered longer, the word tells us. There was something much deeper to this death that Jesus laid down his life for. There was something much deeper. Jesus was crucified and and all of the suffering in the world, nobody has suffered like Jesus did on that cross the anguish of body absolutely but the anguish of soul that Jesus felt was immense and i want us to think about this as we come to as we come to communion in just a few moments jesus did not it's it's horrible i just those those videos of of jesus going to the cross i i weep it's awful But the anguish of soul is so much deeper. Let's read Isaiah 53 together, starting at verse 10. It it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Not Not just his body, his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's something that the guys beside him didn't have. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's such a contradiction, but out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That's you and me and he shall bear their iniquities. He took it on himself. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. Jesus poured out his soul to death. That was not expected. Not in the way that he did it. But it was a glorious victory that many would be called righteous. That I could stand here today and saying because of the blood Of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, because he took my sin, which is just awful and so much, on himself, on the cross, because he took that, I could stand here and say, I'm a righteous one because of my Jesus. And if you know Jesus, if you have confessed and repented and come to him, you can say that too. This Jesus is so unexpected and is so wonderful. And so wisdom, wisdom is justified by her deeds. We watch and we see and we read also of what Jesus has done. We're just in awe of his great and glorious plan. Amen? Just in awe of his great and glorious plan. So if you um, if you haven't yet, you can pause the video. And I just really encourage you to be a part of this communion time. It's a very, very special time. So we can... We can prepare that together. And Jesus instituted this at the Last Supper and he never wanted us to forget exactly what we just talked about. That great love that he had, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That he would go to that place of the anguish of his soul for you and for me and now my life is his. We want to remember this sacrifice together. And so when he was eating, he took the bread and he, and he broke it. And he gave thanks and, and he said, this is my body. Think about that. Jesus' body broken for you. Do this when you eat in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup he said this cup is the new covenant made in my blood this new covenant that we get to live in and we never want to forget the great price that jesus paid and it's made in his blood and he says do this oft as you drink and remember of me Jesus, your love is amazing. Honestly, I just feel silly sometimes talking about it because there's just no words. There's just no words for your great love. I thank you for that love. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the empty grave. And I thank you that you are coming back. You are coming back for us. You are coming, and you are going to establish a world, an earth where there is no more mourning, or sickness, or pain, or fighting, or selfishness, or dis- any disease, or anything like that. And we look forward to that day, and we say, "Hasten!" We hasten. They say, "Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus." But Lord, as we are here. May we stand firm in you, knowing the great love of our Father. And just like John, when you don't meet our expectations that somehow we formed or, or we heard it from somebody else and it was just wrong, Lord, would we grow in the knowledge of the fullness of the truth of who you are, of what you're doing, that we would pause and reflect and see, wow, look what Jesus is actually doing. That's so, that's so amazing. You are so amazing we trust you in every step in every way and we love you we love you forever and ever amen amen bless you thank you so much for joining us today our jesus is so good and he loves you so much look forward to hearing from you again any questions on the agm or popping in tonight on the Zoom call. We just uh, would love to see you. would love to hear from you. God bless.